Chapter Sixteen of the Storm of London. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Celine Major. The Storm of London by Fernand Blaise de Bury. Chapter Sixteen. I say, Danford, it is far more dignified to go about as we do. There is no shamming any more said sinclair as he linked his arm in that of lionel the three men were coming down bond street no one stops me to make irrelevant remarks on my matrimonial affairs his spirits were buoyant he felt himself master of the world not merely the master over men neither did he enjoy that spurious sense of independence which made him formerly as a man of fashion order his pleasures at such an hour his carriage at another but he felt that noble freedom which emancipated him from trifling bonds and conventional statutes when you taught john bull that happiness can exist without church fees and society's sanction and that sorrow is really ennobled by the absence of funeral plumes and crocodile tears you taught him an everlasting lesson answered the little buffoon don't you think suddenly exclaimed lionel that the streets are looking more rational than they used to they were crossing piccadilly See how these long arcades protect the pedestrians in bad weather, and notice the spacious galleries opened out under the houses where the shops used to be. Yes, my lord, shopland is no more. We owe that improvement to your valet. His plan turned out a real success, said Lionel, and the fellow is as active in his present work of reform as he was lazy in his past career. Idleness has disappeared with the injustice which separated classes. The meanest urchin knows that there is a premium applied to brains, and that premium is universal happiness. Now that we all work, said Lionel, you would not find a man or woman who would not willingly help in the construction of machinery to liberate mankind from slavery. Look at these galleries running under the arcades. In each arch there is a large board with electric bells which communicate with edifices outside London, where all the necessaries of life are fabricated, each house has one of these boards and thus meals for invalids the sweeping and washing up of rooms in fact all the necessaries of life can be obtained by merely pressing one of these electric bells likewise the dining halls said danford have been considerably improved and simplified cooking by electricity has given back freedom to thousands of cooks and scullion maids instead of personal attendance there are trays placed on electric trolleys running along in the middle of the dinner-tables which stop at each guest and which can be started again on their course by touching a small bell what a transformation the city has undergone to be sure we all put our shoulders to the wheel at stated hours we work for the welfare of all and the labour seems light for it is divided and the aim is universal contentment no task is beneath us no employment is too trivial were it even to fix a screw in the axle of a small wheel providing that wheel leads us swiftly to the goal the wrong labour broke in lionel was that which toiled for the luxuries of a few to the detriment of the many but the labour undertaken by all for the greatest happiness of all is as exhilarating as the early morning's breeze you would never know the people you elbow now from those with whom you used to associate said danford could you recall in the man just coming out of the ex-Athenaeum club the former frequenter of the past race-course? Ah, that's the Duke of Norbury, answered Sinclair. The fellow looks altogether normal. 
certainly he is not so common in his plain skin that is because his sporting grace has lost the label which directed him to newmarket answered dan they had reached trafalgar square and very soon faced parliament street suddenly the little buffoon halted and bursting out laughing exclaimed by jove are you aware that this day is the twenty-fourth of june the day on which the coronation was to be held the three men paused they looked round in wonderment birds were singing merrily as they hopped on the landseer lions the soft breeze wrinkled the surface of the water in which lads and lassies were ducking and splashing each other in merry laughter do you not hear in your mind's ear sententiously spoke danford the distant rumble of drums and metallic strains of military bands does not your mind's eye perceive in the distance the glittering of swords in the sunshine and the variegated uniforms of colonial and indian armies slowly comes the procession up parliament street furrowing its way through an ebbing and flowing wave of humanity the great of the land are all there labelled with their uniforms there look comes a gilded coach in that coach i can see two figures systematically bowing on either side of the carriage what is the meaning of these two figures got up like dolls for the occasion my poor dan there is no meaning in them they are the symbol of past inconsistency replied sinclair how was it asked lionel that with all that science was doing for the progress of the modern world and with all that art was creating to make life beautiful how was it we never came any nearer to happiness my dear lionel answered sinclair because we wanted to reconcile our modern world with the old one steering our way back into the past against the current which carried us on to the future was hard work very often a perilous expedition we travestied barbarous passions with new garments to make them more presentable to our modern world and the thirst for conquest and wealth was disguised under the mask of political philanthropy vice had its fur-lined overcoat ruthless money-diggers and empire-makers stalked through the town as modern aladdins sometimes even they raised their own eyes to the exalted position of god's a d c prostitution left street-corners to mount the marble steps of palaces where the hand of the clergy helped it to enter the precincts of social paradise listen my lord interrupted danford do you hear the tramping of horses hoofs conquering heroes whose glory is written on the sands of life are coming posterity with her broom and shovel will clear away the dust of their rubbish said lionel it will collect in its dustpan some strange manifestations caesar napoleon marlborough leave out the more recent names broke in sinclair they are too near us you are right said lionel still posterity in her impartial summing up will be more lenient towards those whose crimes were the result of unpolished ignorance than towards those whose lust was cleverly screened by pharisaism it will not be hard on edward the third and philippe le bel for haggling over france like two butchers dogs over a bone but i am afraid it will judge unmercifully our modern civilizations which masqueraded and played parts unsuited to them has the hundred years war given the supremacy to either france or england what has the inquisition and the spanish ascendancy over the dutch republic done for spain's prosperity and what would the annexation of the south african provinces have done for england's glory had not the storm put a sudden stop to his country's hysterical fits 
inquired Danford. Our old world has gone through a good deal of alteration, remarked Sinclair. Maps have always impressed me as the saddest annals of history. As a boy, I used to turn the pages of Atlas books with the keenest interest. They spoke to me of human struggles, of longings and morbid regrets. Yes, added Danford, maps are the medical charts of the intermittent fevers from which countries suffer. Thank God for the blessings his waterspout has conferred on us, burst out Lionel. I shudder when I think that we might on this very day have witnessed this fantastic pageantry. The opium-eater in his weirdest delirium could not have pictured a more uncanny parade than the one we should have beheld at the dawn of the twentieth century. London, a huge pawnbroker's shop, turning out into the streets all its pandemonium, the properties of our modern world thrown together higgledy-piggledy with the paraphernalia of a Cinderella pantomime. The incongruous was then the order of the day, and our brains before the storm were the receptacles of untidy ideas. My lord, do you hear in the distance the bells of St. Paul's ringing their peals? Yes, they are ringing for the sacred union of clericalism with worldly wisdom. How could we reconcile the symbolic ceremony of a crowned monarch with the limitations of our constitution? asked Stanford. How was it possible to adapt obsolete palliaments to the democratic innovation of the coat and skirt? For I think we may truly call this revolution in feminine dress the 1789 of histology. You are right, my dear Dan, but I want to know what our epoch was aiming at, asked Sinclair sitting down on one of the steps. Was it playing a practical joke on democracy, or was it acting a monarchical burlesque? What had our fashionable metropolis to do with the customs of a London which began at the Strand, and whose centre was the Tower? Doubtless, the auditory faculty of a Plantagenet would have suffered from the bustling London of Edward the Seventh, and the clamouring noise of a railway station would have certainly upset the nerves of even that bloodthirsty Richard the Third. The fact is, my dear fellow, said Lionel, who sat down near Sinclair, we had, before the storm, arrived at the crossroads, and had to choose which turning we should take. Were we to go straight ahead, regardless of past traditions on a motor-car, or should we have chosen a shady road and ambled back to Canterbury on a Chaucerian cob escorting that gentle dame yclept Madame Eglantine? The twentieth century was the Sphinx confronting us. Were we going to meet it with an old adage, or were we at last to be Oedipus and solve the question? As long as we dragged at our heels the worthless baggage of the past, we could not proceed on our road. Danford stood in front of the two men. We went to our political business in fairy coaches, and could not make out why we arrived too late for parliamentary tidbits. We were playing the fool on the brink of a precipice and spent our time and energy in staging a sort of Alice in Wonderland in a graveyard. It was as tragic as it was flippant, and if posterity will laugh at our inconsistency, how much more must medievalism grin at our lack of adaptability? I should like to know what King Alfred or Queen Bess have to say about us. Poor Alfred, sighed Lionel. I feel for him, for he must be mortified at having given the first impulse to English language to produce Marion Crivelli. <laughs> As to dear old Bess, remarked Sinclair, with all her cunning and the improbity of her politics, she was essentially modern. 
of her times modernity naturally for of course conservatism and radicalism are relative had she seen the development of science had she crossed the channel in one hour and the atlantic in a week and had she been able to send a wireless message to a distant continent she would have jumped with delight she would have twigged in an instant that the curtain had dropped upon the old world and she would have advised her successor to throw unscrupulously overboard crown sceptre regal goods and chattels in fact all royal overweight to save the crew that reminds me suddenly said lionel that i had a telephonic causerie this morning with victor de l'aumel in paris he said that at the clubs every one was discussing the latest the sovereigns of europe are going to meet in congress at the hague to confabulate on what they had better do in face of this strange event in england when the sovereigns themselves are aware of the inconsistency of their condition and the futility of their prerogatives then their eyes will be open as to what their future conduct has to be that is just what victor says they are as excited about this congress in paris as they were about fashoda and dreyfus and naturally they blame us for it all the smart clubs are dead nuts against england for playing into the hands of jove oh that does not astonish me in the least said danford but about this congress lord somerville i think we have already taught the world a lesson and that sooner than i ever expected at this rate the storm of london will rank as the greatest event in the history of nations if you look at history impartially you will find that every reform carried in its breast the seed of another excess a wrong was abolished by what at the time appeared a right principle until another standpoint was reached which showed us the wrong side of the right principle if this strange condition of ours broke in sinclair does after all lead to the reform of the governing classes from within then indeed it was worth losing one's shirt and the three men laughed heartily look round my lord and danford pointed to the national gallery you have given the first impetus to true art no no danford interrupted lionel it was the public who gave me the hint never mind my lord the thing is done and you have awakened the consciousness of our english artists look down parliament street where your mind's eye saw a minute ago the pantomime of government you can see our ancient seat of parliament transformed into the sanctuary of technical education the old lobbies are swarming with efficient teachers public education as it was to be found in our old haunts of eton rugby etc etc was the proper training for privileged classes but the present education which is not compulsory is the training of the child and adult without social barriers and the only religious dogma which he must live up to is this that the welfare of all is the welfare of each and yet sadly remarked sinclair science is still but empiric as it has not yet revealed to us the mystery of the human heart that remains a sealed letter some writer has named that mysterious recess of individuality the hidden garden but how ignorant we still are of its vegetation do we know what causes in that hidden garden of the soul a lovely rose to grow where the soil was barren or a toadstool to sprout where the seed of a robust plant had been sown no we know no more of each other's inner souls than the early britons knew of steam and electricity said lionel as long as we have not reached complete consciousness 
we shall never triumph over the inconsistencies which place men on different platforms and spur them on to fight unfair battles ah my lord you have a receptive mind and i knew from the beginning that the day would come when you would open your eyes to the gulf which separates man from man yesterday morning the committee of music-hall artists introduced at our meeting a queer sort of man who struck me as visionary in his ideas and matter-of-fact in the carrying out of his plans surely dan he was an american remarked sinclair for the gift of bottling the ocean or of cramming into a nutshell all the contradictory philosophical theories belongs to that race which unites the creative power of a jupiter to the jugglery of a mountebank what that man be he god or charlatan suggests is too grave to be spoken of lightly or to be taken up in a minute continued danford and i implore your lordship not to jump too quickly at a conclusion but to come to facts this man avers that he has discovered the means of reading human thoughts and secret motives just as clearly as one sees the hidden structure of a body by means of the x-rays he says that we have owing to our normal hygiene and purity of life arrived at the time when this invention will be necessary to bring perfect happiness to human beings and that our past weeks of paradisaical existence have changed john bull and made him thirst for a complete knowledge of his fellow-creatures this is a serious matter gentlemen and for god's sake do not let us wreck the future bliss of the world through our incautiousness you have done much for john bull my lord but you have done it chiefly by being tactful with him and by not ruffling his susceptibilities after all man is a strange being he clings to the prejudices which makes his life a living purgatory and you must first see john bull develop a craving to investigate the hidden garden before the final reform of man by man can be effected from within let us curb our enthusiasm for the sake of john bull buoyantly exclaimed lionel and let us turn back danford it is getting late and i have to be at the old war office to meet ex-field marshal burlow to discuss with him what is to be done with the old offices my lord and danford put his hand on lionel's shoulder an idea has just struck me you can do a good turn to the american seer by giving over to him the war office for his scientific experiments what could be more fitted to the science which is devoted to the extension of sympathy than the dwelling in which was planned the extermination of races my dear man the seer shall have the old rookery if i have a voice in the matter although i fear the shadows of past victims and the remembrance of foregone civilized warfare will lurk at every corner and interfere with his humanizing studies quite the contrary said sinclair the seer if he is what we think is sure to be stimulated by the ghosts of barbaric civilizations and his sense of humour will make him chuckle at the irony of fate which selected him to metamorphose janus's airy into a temple of love and peace End of chapter 16